0: And we are live back on the Dynasty Digest. We give you a consumable Dynasty perspective. I'm Scott. I'm joined here with Anand, our good friend here, our degenerate Rams fan, Miami of Ohio alum, where he learned the secrets of the myth we know as the NFL salary cap. You can find him. He's either there. We go when <laughs> he when he's not enjoying Jameson or stunting on your local. You can find it being the best dress sharp over with Roto Underworld. Before we get into this today, guys, we're gonna roll that intro. as always. He has the hearts of a lot of fantasy players. I like it a lot, honestly. I like I'm I'm in for death taxes and the twenty twenty two Water receiver class.
1: I like what you were saying, Skylar. N- no player is completely untouchable. I think you guys really I had not I have not really heard this yet. I listened to a lot of positive and I have not heard this yet. Well done, gentlemen. I'm really impressed.
0: And we are back. Sorry about that. Dude, I had the video up on a second screen. I was hearing myself talk. I thought it was you for half a second. I was like, what is going on here? That awkward pause, guys. But we are welcome in. We've got Wyatt here in the chat with us talking about our- What's up, Wyatt? What's up, Buff? How goes it? What's going on? Talk to me. Not doing too bad, man. We're about to uh, put this draft board up. As always, we are going over this draft board. but. Because we got you here today, we're gonna just go through a couple topics with the NFL and um, kick let's do it. Off. Let's see, let's start here with um, dude, Aaron Rodgers. Just because this, this is your guy, it's non stop. Is anything gonna get done here? And like, what options are on the table for the Jets if this doesn't get done? What's the holdup? And does OBJ
1: want to play regular season? football? <laughs> So the twofold there, right? Oh, I think yeah. there's a lot of interest in Odell and the jets. And I think it makes a lot of sense. Obviously he loved that New York market. Like he's interested in stuff other than, you know, just playing football. He's interested in a lot of off the field stuff. He's interested in, you know, media deals kind of doing all kinds of stuff. So the Odell side of this is pretty easy. Once Rogers is a jet, I think that that is a pretty natural signing one. Cause they won't need him until late in the season anyway. He's more of a depth signing for them than he is, you know, necessarily a true one. They don't need him, right? Like they've got their guys, they're good there. Um, That being said, putting him opposite Garrett Wilson would be a lot of fun. Um, As far as the Rodgers thing, he's going to be a Jet, right? Green Bay does not want to pay him $60 million, and they cannot pay him $60 million with Jordan Love still on the roster. So he's going to be a Jet. Like as long as he commits to playing football, In 2023 and beyond, he's going to be a Jet. I think the holdup here is basically who is going to eat portions of his salary. And based on that, negotiating basically how much of his contract the Packers will eat in terms of dead money. You know, I mean, the the dead money is already done, right? We know know what he's basically going to be charged to their cap at. But in terms of actual cash that he's going to make this year, they're essentially going to buy their own draft pick from the Jets, if that makes sense based on how much of the contract they're actually going to pay out before they trade him. So it's kind of an interesting back and forth about what the cash versus you know um, draft comp situation looks like. But yeah, I think ultimately he gets moved, and I really don't think that it, it's it's not going to be much longer, I don't think, b- before they hammer that out because I think they will want to have that done before they, they get to Kansas City for the draft and at least know what they have going on there. So I would assume that that gets done in the next week or two okay i mean
0: what what would it look like let's say obj does come over to the jets first off what is what does that money look like and what does that team look like because like on you would expect alan lazard currently to be the guy kind of lined up opposite i mean you don't you wouldn't expect obj to come in just on three wide receiver sets and um yeah like what does that even look like i mean Corey davis is still on roster that's kind of the guy who's I don't even know what his role is now with Ellen Lazard. They kind of do a lot of the same things. Uh, What is it? Yeah,
1: it's it's strange, right? Because I think it looks a lot like um, Odell's never been in kind of a role like that, where he is not the object of primary or secondary attention, right? So, yeah, of course, you could line him up outside opposite, you know, um, opposite Garrett Wilson, if you wanted to and let Lazard play in the slot or you can move him inside which i think is probably the more natural fit at this point i think realistically they're just going to find ways to move him all over the place right like i think that that's he's one of those guys that you find a role for i don't think you necessarily try to force him into a role just you know i mean he's still explosive assuming that he comes back fully healthy and i've seen no reason that he wouldn't um I think you just let him go do what he does, right? Like there's no reason to overcomplicate things. There's no reason to, you know, try to have him force him opposite Garrett Wilson. Lazard is the guy. If that's your plan, I would just get him in the door and kind of figure the rest out later. Um, Cause clearly there, I mean, if you're moving the pieces for Rogers, you're in win now mode. And again, eight to 10 million for Odell Beckham jr. Is not over the moon pricing. I think you're going to have to move him down from the number that he wants just reportedly been like 12 to 15 million. I think you're going to have to walk him back from that just a little bit, but I mean, one year deal, eight to 10 million. Um, you can tack on a second year. If you kind of think, you know, you, obviously the jets have much more insight into how long Rodgers wants to play than we do. Um, but the, again, the thing is who knows, right? Like, the guy changes his mind every 30 seconds on everything. So it's a tough thing to figure out in terms of long-term, like what are they going to do with Rodgers? But it's clear, like you're not trading for Aaron Rodgers for one year. So if, if that's that being the case, you're not paying Garrett Wilson anything. So, I mean, if you wanted to pay Odell Beckham jr for two years, feel free to, I mean, there's no, I don't think anybody has any issue with that. And the other part of it too, is there's just not a better wide receiver out there available right now save for being able to trade for a DeAndre Hopkins, which also requires giving up draft capital. And you've already given up draft capital for, for, you know, trading for Rodgers, So you don't want to do that twice. Um, I think it makes sense for everybody involved. I think both Aaron Rodgers and Odell will eventually be New York jets. Now, how does that work out? I have no idea, right? I mean, we've seen these assemblances of, you know, really good quarterback moving to a new home, really good wide receiver moving to no home. And sometimes they work out and sometimes they don't. So I don't. I, I'm, this isn't projecting the Jets to be fantastic because they have both of them. It's just more so at this point they're in the talent accumulation phase of really trying to make a run. And I think, you know, given the windows left in Rodgers' career, Odell Beckham Jr. is going to help that team a lot. So I think they both end up New York Jets.
0: Listen in a vacuum for Dynasty. Let's talk the implications here with OBJ. If OBJ does go to the Jets and he's linked up there with Aaron Rodgers, are you expecting any consistent production? Just one. Of, this just one of those things where you think, nah. okay, this is a really good, real football move. It can only be a plus if he's if he's a nothing. It doesn't hurt. Really hurt the team. He has a lot of value in a lot of other ways as well. Uh, yeah. He'll be thirty-one years old.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's not a guy that I'm looking for um, in any format other than best ball, like in terms of dynasty, he's uh, b- calling him an asset is being nice. Like there, there's just, you're never going to feel good about starting him. You're never going to feel good about throwing him in there in like really, really deep leagues, maybe. Um, But I mean, again, we're talking about the jets, right? Historically not the most potent offensive team. They, they're going to get Brees Hall back. They're going to try to run the ball. We know that Garrett Wilson's gonna be their one. We know that Lazard's gonna be the down the field threat. There's a lot of stuff working against Odell Beckham Jr. fantasy wide receiver that isn't that in real life, he's gonna be fantastic for them. But I just think in terms of dynasty and especially in terms of you know if you're doing anything redraft related, it's just it's a dart throw that doesn't make sense unless a Wilson or a Lazard gets hurt. Then I think there's a path to that kind of production, as we saw. With the Rams when Robert Woods got hurt, right? And then Odell was in town, you know, happened to be in town the day before. I mean, look, we've seen him thrive in that kind of role before. And so as a dart throw, it's not the worst idea ever. It's just one of those things where you can't draft him expect him expecting that he's gonna hit at the price that you get him, at the price that you get him, You're probably just hoping that, you know, somebody in front of him gets dinged up for a little bit and you can get, you know, a couple wide receiver, two weeks out of him. And maybe if he really goes off one week, you can get a top 12 finish out of him.
0: Yeah. All right. So we got Boofy here asking, have y'all seen much on Brock Purdy getting praises if he's healthy, getting him the ball. First off, I still believe the expectation is for him to at least miss at, at least a month, probably look more like two months into the NFL season. Um, yeah, uh, I want to ask you like where's your confidence in Trey Lance? You think his ability to step up and is it really Purdy's job to lose? See
1: the thing is, Buff, like I think it's recency bias is a hell of a drug. And the last thing that we saw from a San Francisco quarterback was Brock Purdy until obviously his, his literally his elbow fell off. Brock Purdy executing at a level within Shanahan's offense that we really just haven't seen. Garoppolo never got there. Trey Lance and his limited action never got there. And the question then becomes, do you just have to be above a baseline as a Shanahan quarterback to do everything that is asked of you? And the system will essentially get you to where you need to go. Right? Cause I mean, the system is Debo. IU, Kittle. there? You there's no way that you can cover all three of those as well as McCaffrey out of the backfield. The offense runs itself. Right. And so the, the thing is, it's a lot like being um, it, it's a lot like being a receiver with Patrick Mahomes. Right. You have inherent value because of the position you play within the framework. There is a lot of value in San Francisco's quarterback in Dynasty and redrafted best ball simply because you are San Francisco's quarterback, whoever that is. Right. And clearly coming out and saying that it's Purdy rings the alarm bells a little bit for Lance only because you have a limited amount of time with which to move him where he has any value really in 2023. The question as a dynasty manager is if he doesn't get moved, you're, you're fine because if Trey Lance can win that job outright while Purdy is still missing time, he's going to take that job and run with it. Nobody's going to care, right? Cause they moved up to get him. We know what they've invested in him. We know that they shipped Jimmy Garoppolo out of town specifically for him and they tried to do it a year ago, right? It just, the situation worked out where Jimmy had to go back in and start games, and then he got hurt, and then we got to Purdy, and he popped and looked really good. I would personally be, if I have Lance, if somebody's giving me anything reasonable at this point, I'm at least considering it, but I'm not giving him away, right? Because, I mean, the, the capital required initially to go get a Trey Lance leads me to believe that he will get a shot somewhere. Um, gun to my head, Tennessee feels like a team that might pull the trigger, um, but like he's going to get an opportunity to start again somewhere. If only because of the draft capital invested in him and, you know, the physical tools that he possesses. It's just a matter of, is that spot going to be anywhere near what the ceiling and floor would be of being Shanahan's quarterback in San Francisco. And so Purdy and Lance is interesting. I trying to project that out right now is hard. I think you kind of need a little more information, see what they do in the draft. But I mean, whoever is San Francisco's quarterback obviously has significant fantasy value because of who they're throwing to. And especially if they have any kind of, you know, rushing element to their game, which obviously Lance in particular does. Um, I would probably just hold both of them at the moment um, as we get some clarity because I think both do have value, both as San Fran's guy, but also value in, in the on the off chance that they're traded because I don't think they're going to keep both long-term. Maybe they both make the roster in 23 and they ride this year out, but going forward, especially if you're talking dynasty value, I think one or both will get chances elsewhere also. So we'll see what San Fran decides to do because, I mean, again, Shanahan quarterback is a very valuable position to be in. It's just we have no real information on what that is.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we got coop coming in saying Tennessee needs more Malik Willis's. See, I think you nailed it on the head when you just said, um San Fran really like this the quarterback inherently will have value. They will perform well. And that point right there gives you a, an argument for both sides of what to do with Trey Lance and Brock Purdy because they inherently hold value. I'm not actively looking to move either because there is just there is fantasy value if one of them is playing. But for the exact same reason, I think both. It just comes down to what you're able to sell off for. Because right, I mean, anyone else can come in really. And if Brock Purdy, the Mister Irrelevant, can walk in and do what he did, uh, your confidence level for another quarterback being able to step in if the circumstance asked him to and perform is not out of the realm of possibilities. I wouldn't put that past. I mean, with San Francisco, it's been a rotating door kind of out the position for a while now and everyone has been playable for fantasy. Um, where Jimmy Garoppolo is an honorable quarterback and in a dynasty, he's never really had his true value go past that kind of 110-111 mark in terms of rookie pick value. And Jimmy Garoppolo on any other team, I don't think he is a first round quarterback for no. fantasy for your dynasty team. And I would say Definitely the same not. thing with Brock Purdy, where he very much impressed. And perhaps there is legitimacy to the NFL really liking this guy and liking what they seen because I did like what I saw when I went back and I kind of watched some of his games. Um, he, he did have good poise, he did have good good temperament things i didn't see from him coming out of college for sure and yeah. you know and and i like him for those reasons but if you're telling me you can cash out of brock Purdy and get somewhere from the 110 to an early second like i'm just pulling that trigger if the market's yeah. not there and no one's giving you an, a legitimate asset in terms of rookie value you're just holding on to the guy with trey lance yeah it's it's a step up because you know he can run the ball the only caveat I, caveat I want to put on that is I don't think Trey Lance is going to come out and give you the type of rushing performances that we have seen from Lamar Jackson, that we've seen from Jalen Hurts, that we've seen from Justin Fields. I don't think he's that dynamic of a rusher. I don't even know if he's as dynamic as what potentially a guy like Anthony Richardson could be, although he didn't naturally take off as much as a guy like Jalen Hurts in school. I, I just don't know with Trey Lance if that super, super high ceiling is actually what we think it is. Um... But, you know, of course, in this system, even if he can give you, you know, 30 yards on the ground per game, uh, above average touchdown, like every single quarterback in San Francisco, I mean, that's going to be a fringe quarterback one. So when you're getting that and you see here round five, it's just an interesting value proposition. Like I find it very difficult to pass on that. But at the same time. Uh, that's one that really, really scares me. If you're taking the rest on Trey Lance, I just urge you to go, go buy somebody up cheap. If Aaron Rodgers is slipping, you know, for a mid-second, and he's, you know, round ten of your startup, go pick it up. Matthew Stafford, round eleven, go pick it up. Geno Smith, round nine, so, like go get one of these guys to come in and plug. That way, you're not completely screwed and i think there will be opportunities to get out on trey lance different to that of brock purdy if trey lance comes out does good enough to keep the job rolling in, and purdy is the backup you may never get to recognize the quote value you had on brock purdy like at this point of the off season with right. where with trey lance there will be opportunities for him to be sold off your team again because as Anand said it, it just with three first round picks going into moving up for this guy to go two overall in the draft. There's going to be a team that's going to say, "I like what I saw with this guy. We'll be the ones to fix him. We'll be the ones who can coach this guy up." It didn't work there. Circumstantial injuries, yada yada. We'll be the ones to do it. I mean, Baker Mayfield's on his fourth team. Carson Wentz got four chances. We see, you know, Jordan Love now. Suddenly, everyone's kind of in on it. They're, oh, this, this is his time to get his chance. If Jordan Love now yep. is going for, you know kind of somewhere between that 110 to 202 and his first chance to start. I think Trey Lance will be able to be moved at some point for that as well. Yep.
1: And I think the other thing thing too, when we talk about, um, when we talk about Purdy specifically, I think he's a unique case that, you know, it's easy to forget about. He was talked about as a day one, day two guy, you know, two years, three years before he came out. And then he started falling because of his, you know, Iowa state, Themselves moving to more of a rushing attack when, you know, Montgomery was there and then you've got Brees Hall like they just the way that they ran their offense changed. And I think a a part of that is, you know, Purdy just wasn't as consistent as he was before. Uh, But like I said, there were plenty of times where he was a day one, day two guy. And, you know, there were plenty of mocks that had him there. You know, if had he been able to come out after what was it? I think his freshman or sophomore year. I can't remember exactly. It's been a minute. He was in college forever, too. Another one of those guys. Um, but I mean, it's hard not to like what, what you saw, right? I mean, it's basically Shanahan's offense is asking you to hit layups over and over and over again. And he it's, didn't do Im- that
0: in school. If you look at if you look up Rock Pretty Lowlights there at mm-hmm. Iowa State, like there are some awful balls. Oh, he just, God. He yeah. just turned, you know, they weren't just handing it to brace they didn't have their guy hutch he just would he'd step back it'd, it'd look like baker under pressure he'd just roll yeah, out and just bad. chuck that thing up there and th- I, for him to come in and be as composed as he was it, it shocked me it's definitely not yeah. something i saw coming it's not something the nfl saw coming let's move the conversation on here because we got deandre hopkins coming off the board earlier than i've ever seen him kind of in these usually hang somewhere between round seven to nine uh depending where quarterbacks go so the five six turn here for hopkins is a little rich but He's been all up in the news with DeAndre Hopkins. We don't necessarily anticipate him to be an Arizona Cardinal, but the Cardinals have come out and said they're operating under the assumption that DeAndre Hopkins will be a Cardinal. Kind of what's your gut feeling here on, on the DeAndre Hopkins situation. What are some spots that you find interesting? I'll give you a little thing here on the channel. We, we, uh we're talking early off season. The spot we thought that made a lot of sense for DeAndre Hopkins was the Giants, but then following that Darren Waller move, we weren't necessarily sure if that was the spot. And we've since moved our bid to um New England as a spot that could be very interesting. But what are your thoughts on DeAndre Hopkins potential spots and uh anything
1: you've heard on the player? So I haven't heard anything necessarily. This is just my assumption. He's gonna get moved. There's there's just no there's no value for Arizona to keep him at Stinks this point. of a draft
0: day kind of kind of trick, yeah doesn't it
1: yeah and my assumption is the team that's going to be willing to give up peak assets is the wrong term but I think the team willing to give up enough will ultimately be Kansas City and I think it's because of I mean they're hiring mercenaries at this point right? if you are Kansas City, Buffalo, Cincinnati, Philly, um San Francisco it's mercenary season you're 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 grabbing whoever wants to play you know for a contending team and would Hopkins adjust his contract we don't know right like i think personally if you're going to spend the money on somebody if you are the chiefs you don't necessarily have to go the route of Hopkins but I think that it would apply a lot of pressure to other AFC teams to go make a move if they were able to pull something off like that. So that's one that I would consider, but I mean, his landing spot is basically anywhere, right? Like, I mean, you're talking about a true alpha number one wide receiver for basically anyone in the league when healthy, he's still been wildly productive. There's no, you're, you're not worried about, you know, uh, you're not necessarily worried about age quite yet, but I mean, especially as a dynasty asset, right? Like this is the five, six turn for Hopkins is kind of crazy. That being said, you know, it's a little rich for my blood, but again, he's absolutely capable of paying off that slot, whether in Arizona or target
0: hog. I mean, he showed last year when he came in, I know Hollywood Brown, who's performing, really well, but isn't necessarily a volume wide receiver in his own right. No, DeAndre Hopkins came in, and was getting 15 plus targets a game, which led to almost 15 to 25 fantasy points per week for you guys, which his floor was absolutely ridiculous. He's still a player who's going to command those targets. I know with DeAndre Hopkins, his hit might not be, you know, as significant as somebody like Aaron Rodgers, but can you walk people through who might not understand, like when a player gets tra- traded, like how does that work against their cap? Because everyone talks about the dead cap, the dead cap hit um, and kind of, oh, this, they, they can't move him because they'll have to eat part of his contract. I know for people who watch other sports, someone like the NBA, if I make $10 million and I get traded from Milwaukee to um, you know Brooklyn, I carry my $10 million contract. Now, can you explain how it's different in the NFL and how that makes trades a little more difficult and why you might go –
1: that player got traded for too much versus that player got traded for a bag of peanuts. So basically the salary cap is explained very poorly. What it is, is a recurring charge card, right? It is an allocate. It's, it's meant to be a resource tool, right? It's basically a, a tool that allows NFL teams to spread out their spending over four years, right? We call it a four year window in the industry. And basically you have to get your cap, quote unquote, below a certain number. Now, that's not the amount of cash that you've doled out in a year, right? So, like, let's say we sign someone, uh, Joe Burrow, perfect example, right? So, like, let's say we sign Joe Burrow to a five-year, $250 million deal with $150 million of it guaranteed and a $100 million signing bonus. In year one of that deal, right, we're paying Joe Burrow $100 million in his signing bonus, and then $30 million of his contract, right? Because essentially there's $150 million left. And it's 30 million, 30 million, 30 million, 30 million, 30 million, $30 million right? So even though in theory we're paying him 50 million dollars a year, it isn't paid out that way. And so what the salary cap actually accounts for is despite the fact that you've paid Joe Burrow $130 million in year one, you're only allocating $50 million of it towards the cap, right? Then in year two, you take another $50 million cap hit. So to the salary cap, quote unquote, you've paid $100 million through year two, even though you've paid Joe Burrow $160 million. Then in year three, the hit goes on again, right? Another $50 million and you pay the player again. So now you're at $150 million of the $190 million that you have actually spent paying the player has been paid to the cap if that makes sense. So that $40 million gap, if the player is traded, cut, whatever, is the gap that accelerates as what we would call a dead cap hit. That's really what it is. A dead cap hit is functionally money that you have paid to a player that you haven't yet accounted for in your own salary cap accounting, right? So it's it's really not what it's made out to be where it's this, you know, end all, be all number. And that's why teams like the Saints and the Eagles add void years to deals and, and, and have, you know, quote unquote fun with the cap math. And, you know, we talk about it being funny money. Sometimes people ask all the time, is the salary cap real? Yeah, of course it's real. Because at some point that bill does come due. And if you have paid that player X amount of money, no matter when it is, it has to be accounted for at some point. Right? So all of these void year deals that you see teams do when they're in the middle of this window, Kind of like the Rams aren't Rams were before they had to restructure and let go of a bunch of guys, right? If you're in that window chasing players, you watch really quickly. Your roster gets depleted fast when the bill comes due to pay for all of these guys that are no longer on your roster, right? I think Atlanta took a cap hit for Matt Ryan last year. Something crazy, like 35 or 40 million for him not to play there. That's nuts. Like you don't see that very often. And it's usually because someone gets, you know a little bit too much money and you know, you need to move on it, it from cycle one of, you know, that guy being your franchise quarterback or tackle or edge rusher, wide receiver, whatever it is to the next cycle. And, and you're, you're kind of stuck paying the bill for, you know, the seasons that you had in the past. And if you didn't get a ring out of it, that can be really tough to swallow only because now instead of, you know, whatever it is, 220 million you have this year, if you have a $40 million hit for a guy, that's not even playing for your team anymore, now you've got to put either take one of two approaches. Either we're really going to scale back and we're going to suck this year, and that's fine. That's probably the better approach. Or it's now we've got to even double down and do even more funny deals, move more money into the future in hopes of of contending this year. So it's it's kind of a, a combo based approach. Everybody's different. Um, but dead money for the the uh for the Cardinals if Hopkins gets traded before June with a pre-June first designation is 21 million. It's a lot to eat. So, I mean, you know, you're going to have to, you're going to have to compensate them for that. But again, like I said, Arizona's plan is to suck, right? Kyler may not be back until mid season. This is a complete rebuild for them. Studs down. They're tearing everything down. Got rid of the GM, got rid of the head coach. Basically it's a fire sale and they're going to have to rebuild from ground zero, which is perfectly fine. Kyler's their guy. He's going to be the quarterback in Arizona. So I think in this case, you can probably pry DeAndre Hopkins from them. And I think they're going to be, you know, I think they're open to moving him. It's just a matter of what is it going to take to get it done? Probably second or third rounder, given what they have to eat um, of that salary. But if you could find a way to make it a post-June 1st move, it would only be $10.5 million. So something to, to keep track of and, you know, how they designate that trade, what goes down there. Um, but yeah, ultimately, I think DeAndre Hopkins does get moved because Arizona has absolutely no use for a $20 million receiver with a roster this bad. It just it it functionally doesn't make any sense. Right. It, it's it's um, it's a misallocation of resources to have them on your roster when you're going to be as bad as they are.
0: Right. So quickly before we go on, I just want to hit these comments. We got a great guest on tonight. Thank you. To what up, Dave, honor. That's the man. We've got Steven here, first time listener. Thank you for tuning in with us. We got Coop coming in. Uh, we're not really focused on the draft too much today. We got a lot of off-season talk. When we got on and on here. We got to ask the heavy hitting questions. We got Chester asking if the June 1st big day uh is something to look at across the league. is something different in each contract. Uh, I guess before you answer that question, I'll mention, you know, you got someone like Rodgers you see in his pre-6-1, 22 million hit post-6-1. Uh, Oh, sorry. That's Hopkins. Sorry. Hopkins pre 22, as you said, post is 11 where Aaron Rodgers pre is 40 Post is 75. Now, how does that work for these teams? Like obviously with Aaron Rodgers, they want to get it done before six one. It's really not that big of a hit if they work things out a certain way before that, but someone like Hopkins, can they make the trade now? but then just not sign papers until six one, or it's just one of the things where it just ends up in the news for the next three months. And we don't actually get action until June 1st crosses.
1: So it can be one of two things, right? You can designate, um, you can designate certain things. For example, um, when Drew Brees retired, the saints sent it to the league as a post June 1st designation. So you can designate these moves at certain times, right? Because If you're Arizona, it actually makes sense to eat this money in 2023, right? Whereas Green Bay, again, it makes sense to eat this money in 2023 because neither of those teams are trying to contend. It's the opposite side, right? If you were the Jets potentially, right? And you had to move on from somebody or if you were the, um, in this case, I guess we'll call it the Chiefs and you had to move on from somebody that's when, if you're, you know, losing a player, you would want to spread that head out over multiple years. But if you're Arizona, you're perfectly content with taking the 21 million this year and eating that only because you know, you're going to suck anyway. This year, this year has no bearing on anything whatsoever. There's no reason to designate that as post June one. Same thing is true for, for Aaron Rodgers, right? The Packers are not going to try to be ultra competitive in 2023. Um, if Jordan love puts it together and has a hell of a year, that's awesome. And that's great. But again, unknown quantity They're they're definitely not going to be sitting there saying, Hey, this is a super bowl caliber team from day one. If they grow into that great. Um, but I don't think they're, they're accounting for that quote unquote and how they're making moves. So I think both of these moves will probably be designated pre June one and just eat, eat the numbers involved there. Um, obviously that's going to be a huge deal for green Bay. Um, they could obviously designate post-June 1. It just depends on how they want to kind of account for their cap. But it, it it is what it is, right? Especially with Hopkins, I think Arizona is going to eat that. And I think, again, like we said, it's probably going to be a draft day deal or something close to there um, right before the draft-ish, maybe a day or two before, just because teams want to know what their capital actually is. And last year we saw a lot of movement in round one in terms of wide receivers, right? A.J. Brown to the Titans. Or AJ Brown from the Titans, the Eagles, Hollywood Brown from Baltimore to Arizona. It, it you you saw two moves that it kind of showed you, hey, teams are now okay with not knowing necessarily what they're gonna have on draft day in terms of assets. And that's perfectly fine if that's the the way that that this is headed, but I think probably Arizona is going to want to know what they actually can get for Hopkins before they go into that draft room, just so that they can strategize a little bit about what they're going to do. And obviously whoever is acquiring Deandre Hopkins is not going to have to draft a receiver at that point.
0: Yeah. So with Deandre Hopkins, I, you know, as we said, it's kind of smells like a draft day trade. You brought up AJ Brown, Hollywood Brown, getting moved those two wide receivers out of the 2019 class. If we kind of want to move that up and say, Ooh, who maybe from the 2020 class could potentially get moved. Well, it's certainly not going to be guys like Justin Jefferson or CD lamb who are, you know, cornerstones to their teams respectfully, but we do have a couple other first round wide receivers who aren't as pivotal to the team. Uh, There have been some rumblings. Two players, I will bring up Jerry, Judy, and Brandon Ayuk. Do you think there's any legitimacy to potentially one of those two players getting moved on draft day? And if you had to guess which of the two, uh, take a pick.
1: Ayuk is an interesting case, but ultimately I think he's a niner. Judy, especially because we've heard both rumors of him, Sutton, and Hamler all being floated around, right? Right something's going on in Denver. I don't know which of them is going to be moved, but if I had to guess, my guess is across the league, there are talent evaluators, scouts, GMs that watched Jerry, Judy in Alabama and know that that player is still in there and think that they can maximize that talent. So I think of the two, it's much more likely that Judy gets moved. And I think I ultimately Judy probably does get moved and that's probably best for everyone in both a real football sense, but also in terms of fantasy, right? He was never going to have the ceiling there with, with Cortland Sutton and Hamler there. And as much as they love Javante Williams running the ball, like it's clear that Peyton, especially what he's put together since he's been there and the guys that they've brought in, it's clear that they want to run the ball more. Um, So, I mean, all of their pass catchers upsides are capped. The offense last year was God awful. It cannot get. It, it literally cannot get any worse than that. Um, and I think that once you kind of take into account what the Broncos' offense will probably look like, it's probably going to be more productive, but less flat. It's going to be attempt to be less flashy, and so I think Judy moving on probably makes a lot of sense. Um, I think again, that's another really solid draft day trade that could happen, um, but I would look out for that one. I, I think that it's more likely than not that one of sutton judy hamler is wearing different colors next season um and you know i think it's it's obviously somewhat likely that it's going to be judy
0: okay very interesting let's talk because he's on the thumbnail we'll talk lamar a little bit with this ongoing saga here a little bit of ramp up today you know with maybe new england or indianapolis rumors as Lamar put kind of a formal trade request today. Thank the fans. He said, no matter where I am. So he didn't necessarily say it, you know, he's out of Baltimore. Uh, but, you know, it seems like the relationship is getting worse by the day. You have any insight on the Lamar situation? And, and you know, with all the teams coming in saying, oh, we're not going to go to get him. And who's kind of your dark horse spot for Lamar to land?
1: So I think it's very interesting. So there, there's... A whole lot of ways to take this. I will start by saying it's very interesting to me that multiple teams and their owners came out immediately and said, we are not interested in Lamar Jackson. Here's why that's interesting. When he's playing, right, when he's on the field, he's at worst, what, the seventh or eighth best quarterback in the league? I mean, you're talking about a unanimous league MVP, a guy that's carrying horrible, horrible, supporting cast especially at wide receiver to the playoffs in the afc and the most loaded afc we've ever seen right and teams are openly saying we have no interest basically what is going on here if you want to read between the lines so to speak is the owners are essentially saying screw you to jimmy haslam and the browns and saying we're ne- we're never going to give out that deal ever again he kind of broke the code that we had unspoken between owners about doing this. But again, Watson had the leverage, right? Once somebody is already committing three first round draft picks to trading for you, you have no negotiation. You you have no leverage in those negotiations. He's in a very unique spot. Cleveland had to make that window work. And the thing is, even if he wasn't the guy in Cleveland, they were never going to be in a position to get anyone better than him. And so from a football perspective, they had to make that move. They were already pot committed at that point in time. This is different. And the reason it's different is Lamar himself has boxed the Ravens in because Baltimore cannot now, since they applied the non-exclusive franchise tag, they can't get more than two first-rounders for him. It's in the CBA, right? Draft compensation cannot be agreed to even if he signs a deal with Baltimore and then then gets traded, right? Because technically this year he will be playing on that negotiated tag unless they void it entirely, which I don't see as possible, right? They've boxed themselves into this. So basically what Lamar Jackson can now do is go to every other team in the league, and meet with them and say, hey, look, I have yet to sign this. If you want to trade for me, you're going to have to give Baltimore their two firsts, which is fine. There's a limited number of teams that can actually do that. The Rams are not one of them unless they go back and acquire a pick in 2023 that's higher than the one that they gave that they sent to Detroit because you can only send picks in your draft slot or anything higher as the compensation for 2023 and 2024 here's where it gets interesting Lamar can choose to wait till post-draft to sign his tag to do whatever right if you wait until after the draft those picks obviously become 24 and 25 ones that's when the market for him will really open up because functionally there are teams that don't have their own 2023 one that would be interested the Rams are a perfect example in that case right if you're Lamar You can actively choose to wait until May 1st, you know, post draft to decide what you want to do and and to decide what teams you would want to meet with. Or there may be teams that come to him and say, hey, look, we're very interested. This is what we'd offer you. We just need you to wait until May 1st because we can't afford the 2024 or the 23 and 24 picks in order to go get you. Right. We're looking at 24 and 25 now. So the Ravens are incentivized to move him early because they get a 23 and a 24 one he's incentivized to wait because there are going to be more teams involved and could potentially drive the price up either way this situation has just gotten so messy that i'd be surprised if he returned to baltimore i mean look the guy has only asked one thing pay me what i'm worth and we don't know what the negotiations or the numbers look like but again he is in that caliber of quarterback where you can pay him 40 to 50 million dollars a year and maintain a competitive roster because he does so much for you at the quarterback position that it almost doesn't matter what you've surrounded him with. The Ravens have been playoff teams with him at quarterback with rosters on offense that that you look at and you sit there and wonder, you know, like yeah, we like this running back a little bit, but they're on their fourth string guy. We like Mark Andrews, but it's Mark Andrews and a band of characters. We've never heard of, right? Like Lamar Jackson makes everyone's life easier on offense. And I think that the team that, that makes the most sense, the most fun outcome is Detroit. That's, that's the one everyone would be over the moon about for fantasy, for real life. It's just, that's the one where, you know, a team's ceiling goes from really, really good to, okay, now you're all in now. Now you're in a Super Bowl window. It's time to go win the thing, um, but I think there are others that that'll come out of the woodworks. Atlanta's an obvious one. Andy's an obvious one. Um, you know, there's the pipe dream that that the Niners move everything. I don't think that'll ever happen, but that would be so much fun if we got to see that. Um, I, I think one of those three teams is ultimately probably where he ends up between the Lions. Um, I think you could also include Carolina there, but I think they're very enamored with CJ Stroud at one. And I think that's the direction that it's going. Um, But, you know, again, you do not see 26-year-old league MVPs available for trade ever for any reason. So the fact that we're even here is nuts. Um, Another part of this that's important, Baltimore has first right of refusal for any contract, any offer sheet that Lamar signs. Um, But again, teams looking to take him can structure that contract however they want to put a lot of pressure on Baltimore to match it. Cause again, if somebody's offering him a hundred million dollars in year one, you know, whatever the case may be, they can, there are teams that can make that contract structure very difficult for Baltimore to replicate and sign off on. So, I mean, now you're playing a cat and mouse game and that's exactly what what was always going to happen because you gave him the non-exclusive franchise tag. This is how all of this was bound to end. It's just going to get ugly. Um, I, would love, I mean, I'd love to, you know, read the tea leaves and tell you where I think he's going, but at this point, the floodgates just opened, right? I mean, he absolutely unleashed a bomb during the owner's meeting and then kind of took over the news for the day, which by the way, salute to Lamar. That's, that's awesome. You love to see that.
0: Yeah. It's one of those situations that's going to, it's going to be the entire off season. It feels like at this point, it's going to linger into camp. You know, doubt he goes, is he going to play to start the season? If there isn't a deal, I guess we'll have to come out and see. Um, Somebody here asking, let's see, they're asking Kyle for Lamar. No, Kyle Murray's the quarterback of the Arizona Cardinals. Could yep. the Rams find a way? They could, but as Anna explained, they'd have to wait until a little further into the off season so that they can right. use their 24 they, and 25 draft capital. And that would also involve something around uh, with Matthew Stafford to kind of make the situation work for them. Yep. Let's see. So tough spot. It really is a tough spot. Yeah. Um, Let's talk a little draft because I know this is the time of the year you're trying to guess how the first round is all going to fall. Everyone here in our dynasty streets just wants to know where B. John Robinson is going to land. Of course, half of the first round could end up with B. John Robinson. I just want to ask you real quick, gut call. Do Philly or Dallas fight to see who can land B. John Robinson on their
1: team? I don't think they fight. But I think his absolute floor is pick twenty-six of Dallas. I think if he's there, it's too much of a story. We've seen Jerry push the button on quote unquote his guys before. Bijan would absolutely qualify as one of his guys. Um, and it's not quite the the dip that taking Ezekiel Elliott at four was just a few years back. But again, that is classic Jerry Jones. We're gonna let Zeke walk out the door. We love running backs gonna franchise tag Pollard who knows when he's gonna be back we'll we'll bring we'll bring in the next Zeke Elliott and B. John Robinson which you know hey like again Philly has the luxury of making that pick because their roster really doesn't have many holes whereas if you're Dallas there's probably a piece or two especially offensive line that you could use to bolster going forward um And again, like I said, the Eagles potentially may look at center there if you're if you're looking at replacing Jason Kelsey long term. Because I mean, obviously, we know for
0: Philly, it'd be just more. Do they want to lean depth, or are they really just going to go in and say like "f you" to the league? Like we're we're trying to run this thing back. We're going to add a little
1: more firepower into this. Yeah, I mean, they plenty of firepower as is, but Jesus, Bijan Robinson and that would be insane. And Kelly Green would be something to see.
0: Yeah. So you you did bring up Zeke, right? Who is you know still free agent
1: left from Dallas because of
0: his contract. They they ate a little bit to get out of it where they did so that they could be more flexible. He came out and said, you know, he's looking between Cincinnati, the Jets. Um, there was one other team in there. Um, Philly, that was the other one. You think there's any way that Zeke just finds himself back on on Dallas? That Dallas just I, kind yeah, of brings I, this I, guy Like After they cut him, they just sign him to a vet minimum and he comes right back into his role.
1: I think I think that's there's always a chance of that, especially when you have an owner that's taking care of a player the way that Jerry Jones take care of Zeke. Like that was clearly a business decision. They loved him in the locker room. There, um, obviously, he still has value to an actual NFL team as a short yardage goal line back, a guy that gets you know eight to ten carries a game, um, some of them in high leverage moments. Uh, look, he's not what he was, and I, I think we'd all. Agree and acknowledge that, but there's still value in having an Ezekiel Elliott on your you roster. Play
0: Tony Pollard can't play more than fifty to sixty percent of snaps at maximum. I think right. he's most effective when he sits between forty to fifty percent snaps. That's a halftime player. You can't expect Tony Pollard to be the only guy going on there. Ronald Jones, who they signed, you know? with Kansas City didn't even get a freaking snap behind a uh, s- s- seventh round rookie and Isaiah Pacheco. I know, but we we love Pacheco. Shout out New Jersey for you on it. But yeah, with um. You know, with Dallas, I mean, a player like Ezekiel just makes sense. He's a serviceable enough blocker because of his size and his experience. Yeah, And he's still, he showed last year as good as anyone when you get like two yards from the end zone. You know, Zeke just does his best Thanksgiving dinner. Big boys rolls his way in there. He put up, what, 12 touchdowns last year. I still think he offers a lot of value. I think with the Jets, it's a sign that makes sense. We might hate it because uh Bijon, or sorry, Brees Hall is, our our darling, our boy here, but really all he's gonna do is steal a couple of touchdowns. And with Brees Hall, I think you'd expect him. We talked last week to be a little slow coming into the season anyway. So just someone to sit in there and relieve him isn't necessarily a bad thing. I think Ezekiel LA is a lot better than a lot of the alternatives to land there as a you know part of that fawn committee. And long term, you know, Zeke only has a couple years left in the league, if more than just one. Goofy asking here, does Washington want Bijan? I think they do. I think Washington is one of those teams that will be interested when they're on the clock. They came out when, you know, Austin Eckler was very vocal about his contract situation, which he's still vocal about his contract situation. Ultimately, I think he works it out with the Chargers. But, you know, Washington was one of those teams to call. They're one of those teams that, despite taking Brian Robinson the stab on him last year, having Antonio Gibson still one year left on, on contract, uh, I think they would be one of the teams that are interested. But it'd be half the league,
1: right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, B. John Robinson's a fit for 32 NFL teams. That's what's so tough about it, right, is it's like um, it's like when Ezekiel Elliott came out and you're like, okay, yeah, or Saquon Barkley, right? Yeah, sure. At this point, nobody's taking him in the top five, I don't think. But, you know, given kind of what he is as a football player, I mean, you're talking about a very, very special running back talent in, uh, in B. John Robinson. And, and, you know, there are a lot of other running backs in this class that I like a lot, but no one is him like that's the that's the Saquon Barkley, Ezekiel Elliott. You get a couple of these guys a decade, really, really, really special player. Um, And obviously it's tough to value them because we know what a running back is worth right. at this point. But again, one of those things that we talk about all the time when I talk to Matt is having that fifth year option on a player because they have round 1 capital matters a lot and i think especially for running back right like you would rather if you're comfortable taking a running back at the top of the second round and you can get that fifth year essentially baked into your rookie deal as a part of that end of round 1 capital it's not the worst idea i'm still not a round one running back guy but if there ever was a round one running back this is it like this yeah. is what it looks like um but yeah like you said all 32, essentially, are going to be interested. Do all 32 have the resources or the wherewithal to go get them? No. Um, but yeah, I, I think half the league is at least going to do their due diligence and try to land him. So we'll see where he ends up. Um. Yeah. But we got again, we
0: got Jake coming in here saying Tennessee feels so wrong. That is probably right. My problem. My problem with Tennessee. Right. With with Derek Henry. Yeah. They took Derek Henry with DeMarco Murray on roster, but that was round two. Right. Special player. I think if somehow he was there, there were, there's 32 teams also who would trade up to the first pick of the second round if he somehow made it. Out yeah. Of the third one, but we don't expect that to be the case. It, he could be in Tennessee, but they got a lot of things. They got a lot of issues to fix in Tennessee. I don't know if Bijan is necessary to pick at that spot, but teams who do have glaring needs. We're gonna talk the quarterbacks just real quick because I know you're tuned in. You're a lot of buzz. There's going to be a team who probably trades up to four, like with Arizona, seeing what Chicago got at that for that first pick. If they can get sixty percent, even fifty percent of what that trade up was or that trade down for them, I think they almost have to for part of this rebuild. Who do you think makes the most sense to move up for four? Or I guess I should start with, do you think a team moves up for four? And are we correct to assume Anthony Richardson's that guy?
1: So I think the three, four is now interesting because one, two have been kind of set, right? It's going to be CJ, I think. And then it's going to be Bryce. And now Arizona's sitting at three. I meant three, but yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So Arizona's sitting at three. And I mean, it's clear that they have their quarterback and they're in the midst of a full rebuild. So they just need assets. Um I think the Raiders are the team to look at of potentially moving up and taking Anthony Richardson, especially because you know, he, he, I think he started 13 college games, something like that. Like that there is not a lot out there. And the thing is, Anthony Richardson is raw in a, just hasn't taken the snaps way, not raw in a, he's not a quarterback yet way. If that makes sense. Like there is a, Mm -hmm. there is a clear difference. Um, but the thing is, that's going to leave, you know, I think that's what we see probably as we close into draft day. I think it's going to be the Raiders. It could be someone else. Who knows? Someone someone has fallen in love with the physical tools that Anthony Richardson possesses. And his pro day is just going to blow the lid off of anybody that's there. Because, I mean, look, if you're looking for a spandex workout, nobody's going to look more impressive than that dude. And uh, I think ultimately he will be the pick at three. And then the question becomes – If you're Indianapolis at four, are you comfortable taking Will Levis? If you are not, are you open to trading back? Because at that point, right, your hand's been forced. If you're you're a team, period. If you want Richardson or Levis, you're going to have to get to three. And if you want a guaranteed round one quarterback that actually grades out as a round one quarterback, you may have to get to four. And we may see quarterback, 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 which I think would be absolutely insane. <laughs> but, I mean, it's not out of the realm of possibility right now, and nobody's really discussing that that, that could happen. But, I mean, look, like Arizona holds all the cards now because every, the, the Panthers have tried their best to hide their intentions. We know. I, I mean, we basically know what they've wanted to do. You don't move up to one and then go do your due diligence on guys. They know who they were Draft, right? Like they dra- they moved up to one to make sure they crossed their T's and dotted their eyes on the guy they want. I think it's CJ Stroud, it could be someone else. You're hearing rumors of Bryce Young, you're hearing rumors of, of Richardson, not really rumors of Levis. uh but I think a lot of that's just you know attention to the single of- right. I, I think yeah. I think a lot of it is just you know to um to keep everyone on their toes. I think it's CJ. I mean, they, I think can't, come out. they go- can't come out and just say we're get, We're taking
0: CJ at one for anyone who's asking, well, why don't they just kind of like lock their pick in? Now there is a lot of legal factors going in, especially with, you know, the legalization of partnerships with sports books where they, they cannot do that. Um, yeah. You know, Jacksonville who didn't do a great job just a year ago, you know, got, a little rep- reprimanded a little bit for leaking a little early kind of what direction they were leading on the pick. Cause you know, it affects certain things, certain exterior factors here um, with Arizona. If they get stuck at three, I think that's going to tell us a lot about how people feel about Richardson and Levis, you know, in yeah. market, because it, it could end up a team like Detroit just a couple of years back in 2020. They did not want to take Jeff Akuda at three. Like that was their guy. They were deciding, is it Okuda or Henderson? We could be OK with either. No one was willing to pay up aggressively in 2020 um, to come in and, and lock in their quarterback. We saw Justin Fields slide and then, you know, they end up having to take Jeff Akuda at three, which was a reach. You know, they felt they could have got them, you know, as far back as eight nine, but they had to. So that's one of those situations where Arizona, I think if they get stuck making their pick, it's just kind of forced.
1: Yeah, I don't think I don't think Arizona wants to draft at three. They don't want to. But you know, sometimes
0: no. like just like your rookie picks in fantasy, like you might put one oh seven on the clock and you know, one on the block, and then you sit on the clock for six or eight hours and you're like, I gotta make a pick. <laughs> you know, I got I gotta pick a player here. Yeah. Um talking about picking, picking a player that you might you know that uh, well. Let's just—I'll just bring a Hennon Hooker. Right. This is a guy where, um, you know, if not for the ACL, some people feel like he might sneak into the first round. People feel like he might anyway. Have you heard anything on and Hooker? And if there's legitimacy to teams preferring Hooker
1: to a guy like Levis, I mean, I'm sure he's higher on someone's board, right? Because again, the the thing that gets under discussed in all of this is there are shockers every year. I don't think anybody had Cole Strange in round one, like. There is a sure. Right there. And and the thing is that that we we all have to understand and it's easy to forget about this as you you go about your daily life. You don't need 32 teams to fall in love with you. You only need one. That's it. And so basically the question you're asking me is, do I think that one of 32 teams has a round one grade on Hendon Hooker? Yes. Will they actually draft him there? I don't know. Um, This is the concern with Hendon Hooker. We know that the offense that he came out of at Tennessee is a bit gimmicky. We know the history of 25-year-olds coming into the league is not fantastic. There are concerns. That being said... When you watch what he did at Tennessee, especially against Alabama. And that's the one game
0: everyone. That's to, right.
1: That's hard to to remove from your mind. It's like it's like watching Bryce Young against Georgia in the SEC championship game last year, two years ago, sorry. And then you watch CJ Stroud against Georgia this year. There are certain games for a prospect that just stick in your head you can't get rid of. Henan Hooker against Bama was incre- just incredible. That, that's, that's everything you want to see out of a quarterback. Now, how much of that is translatable to an NFL-style offense is tough because what Josh Heupel runs is incredibly successful at the college level. But again, there is a bit of a learning curve to go from that to a pro-style offense. And the question is, you know, and Hooker, tr- originally transferring from Virginia Tech, what are we going to see from him, right? That that translates to the next level. I think it really, really hurt him that that he got injured when he did and wasn't able to show out at the combine and really won't be able to show out at his pro day because I think a lot of the stuff that people want to see, right, as these quarterbacks go from these quote unquote gimmick offenses to the league is what does your positioning under center look like? Do you, is it natural to you? Can you learn how to do this? Are you comfortable rolling to your right and rolling to your left? Are you comfortable play actioning hard, right? And then booting left and doing all of the things that, you know, he wasn't necessarily asked to do at Tennessee. It doesn't mean he can't do them. We've just never seen him do it. Right. So right. I think, it's unfortunate for him that his injury occurred when it did in the manner that it did. Obviously you never wish injury on anybody, but the timing of this one's particularly gutting because I think he, he deserved to have that shot to show everybody what he can do. And yeah, I mean, I, I think to answer your question in summation, yeah, somebody is going to have Hendon hooker maybe as their number three quarterback in this class. Um, but will they actually trade up to go get him? Will they, will they invest first round draft capital? I'm not sure. I still think that, that most teams are going to be comfortable with him more as a day two guy. But again, it depends on how these quarterbacks go. Cause if they go one, two, three, four, you don't have a lot of time to wait, right? Like yeah, action breeds urgency. And so if you're sitting there in the middle of the first round and you realize that the top four quarterbacks are gone, if you have a round one great on hand and hooker, you might have to, you might feel you have to pull the trigger on that. So, I mean, again, Like I said, it only takes one team to fall in love with you. Um, And the the exact opposite is true, too. And and I don't think that gets discussed often enough. If everybody's out, at some point you become a value, which is kind of how Tennessee ended up with Malik or, you know, the Titans ended up with Malik Willis last year. They probably didn't want to draft him, period. But at some point he becomes such a value uh, no, you're sitting there you're in day three, you know,
0: sorry, day two, you know, round three two.
1: and they're like, you know what,
0: this guy, there was something to it, right? There's, there's yeah. some tools there. Yeah. We'll throw a stab at round three. That's not a pick that necessarily has a high rate, rate regardless of, uh, you know, there's some organizations out there who just like taking a day three quarterback every single year, because you never know the one time it turns into, you know, Kirk cousins, it, it was, it was an extreme value, way more than you could ever imagine. Um, so for them, I'm sure they just looked at it and said, well, you know, maybe it's not day three, but here in round three, you know, it's it's worth at least a little bit of a dart. Um moving back, guys. I'm sorry, I said Justin Fields a while back in the Henderson and um Akuda class. I meant to say Justin Herbert, a little bit of a Freudian slip. I know Anna was looking at me a little crazy, your boy. Um j- just to clear boy. that up. But we'll transition here into like the Justin Herbert and that that group. We talked about Lamar a little bit and I've just brought up Kirk Cousins. We got Kirk Cousins, Justin Herbert, Tua, Joe Burrow, all kind of do up for extensions i want you i wanted to ask you like what's the impact that having like four pro bowl level quarterbacks all kind of entering extension talks in the same time like what does that do to the market what is that how does that change where other players may see money how aggressive teams might be in moves what do you I think? think
1: i think you've got to consider too right so the, the first contract is going to be the best for the team involved, right? The deal that gets done first is obviously going to be used to negotiate deal number two, deal number three, deal number four, right? So waiting to be last, so to speak, in line comes at a price, right? Mass they're Dallas. all right. They're all going to get there, right? I think. Lamar is the most obvious one because, I mean, we know that there's going to be trades and stuff involved. He's probably going to be after a couple of these. Burrow, Herbert, that's just, they're easy. They're going to be max extensions. You're going to see somewhere in the, you know, 50 million plus average annual value. You're going to see probably three years guaranteed. You're going to see, you know, a five-year deal that's not really a five-year deal because it'll be renegotiated when there's no, guaranteed money left in it after year three it's just at this point the the market is the market right like i don't think burrow or herbert are looking to crash the market like a patrick mahomes and do something crazy i think they're both gonna probably push for past the 124 million guaranteed that russell wilson got um they're probably looking at somewhere between 130 and 150 million the one that signs after might get a little bit more just cuz they have the con- the base contract to negotiate on but that's basically what you're looking at and and that's kind of going to be the new floor for negotiations for franchise quarterbacks um but that's just how it works right you know and obviously eventually someone will break the cycle and buck the trend but basically being the next guy to get paid means you you're going to be the biggest contract they have Um, you know, you're going to probably sign the biggest contract in NFL history. And then the next one's going to be the same thing. And, you know, that number just keeps going up and up and up. And um, obviously, you know, the way that, that Kansas City structured Mahomes' deal gives them a lot of flexibility to do stuff that other franchises simply don't have because of the way that they've structured theirs. But look, like Burrow and Herbert are clearly worth the money. They're two of the best quarterbacks in the league. They've had massive success despite all kinds of chaos around them for both um, obvious extension candidates. Obviously, neither team has any question on whether or not they're a franchise quarterback and whether or not they'd pay him. So it's just basically a matter of getting there and hammering out the finer details of what each guy wants. Um, But I I have no doubt that both of those extensions get done this offseason.
0: Yeah, I feel like Joe Burrow feels like the one that'll get done first, that team, especially with them having T. Higgins kind of do it for an extension. If they can clear, if they can get Joe done first, you know, set the market. Then they they have a lot more time to work on how the rest of the team slots in around him. Uh, so at least that's where I'm hoping.
1: Yeah, because um, I mean, that the, the obviously we're talking about Higgins' potential extension too. Um, but then Chase the next year also. It's so the year like, following, of course. Yeah. 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 So I mean, you you got there's a lot a lot to plan for in Cincinnati. But I mean, ultimately they'll they'll get the Burrow deal done. That's not even a question.
0: Do you think Ryan Tannehill is a guaranteed starter for 2023? I mean, he's, he'll be turning 36 this year. Is, is that a player? Cause it's somebody just in dynasty. I'm looking like he doesn't even go top 12 rounds of startups. I've seen the slightest far as round 15. Um, do you think, have you heard anything on Ryan Tannehill? Do you expect him to be the starter for the Titans?
1: I have not, but I would, I can see a situation where um, someone who has Super Bowl aspirations has their quarterback go down and, um, looks for a lifeline and sees him as that lifeline. I could definitely see that happening um, mid season this year, but I don't think at some point, Tennessee is going to have to see what they have in Willis. And, you know, if they're talking about potentially being willing to move Henry, if they're talking about, you know, after moving AJ Brown, we've seen what that roster looks like. It's a, it's a mess right now in Nashville and and they've got to find their way out of it. But I mean, I can assure you, Ryan Tannehill is not dragging them out of it. He was very, very successful as their quarterback for a couple years, but it just feels like it's time. You know, 36 years old. We've seen the best of what Ryan Tannehill has to offer, and it's perfectly competent at an NFL level. But it's not going to move the needle for a team like Tennessee to to really take that next step. Because I mean, you're not. They're never going to be. They're not even going to be favored in their own division, right? And I mean, the the worst case scenario. God forbid if you're a Titans fan you may wake up may 1st and have a division where you have ryan Tannehill and malik willis and you're in a division with potentially we know what trevor lawrence is bryce young in houston and god forbid lamar gets traded to indianapolis you wake up and you're you're in a division with those three you're i mean it's it's rough out there and I mean, I I cannot see a scenario where he starts the whole year unless they get off to a torrid pace and somehow rip off a few wins early that we don't see coming. Um, it's going to be the Malik Willis show at some point, I think, yeah. um, which obviously makes Ryan expendable. So we'll see what happens there.
0: We'll see what happens. Yeah, that, that division has felt like for a decade, it's kind of just been, you know, every other season is disgusting. Like seven wins could get oh, you to the playoff. And, God. you know, with, th- with those quarterbacks, yeah, it might be looking a little different. Let's see. Um, We got some time here, guys. I'm just going to walk through a couple, like the really little signings, the disgusting signings. And then um, I'm going to ask you yes or no. That's it. That's all I'm going to ask you. Like if okay. you're, sta- you're going to stash these players, we'll just talk. Super flex, 30-man rosters. Okay. that's simple. We got Deontay Hardy signing two years, nine point five five mil guaranteed here with Buffalo. That was following the a- Zaya McKenzie release where he signed a one-year with Indianapolis. You got any interest in stashing one of those two players? Uh, No. We got Braxton Berrios going to Miami, Noah Brown to Houston.
1: Both intriguing. I mean, if you last spot on your bench, sure. Why not? Okay,
0: we got McCole Hardman, $4.5 million to the Jets, potentially being the deep threat here for Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, I'm interested until you hear about an OBJ signing. Okay, Nelson Aguilar, one year, $3.5 million. I was joking last week with Mike daddy's home, FF, saying this is the most... Baltimore signing ever. Uh, I feel like they just love that deep guy who's going to drop a couple passes, and who's more perfect than Nelson Aguilar. You have any interest in that? Not interest in Aguilar? Nelson
1: Aguilar. Period. Specifically, if Lamar Jackson is not pulling the trigger, way yeah. out. <laughs> oh yeah,
0: you know Nelson Aguilar. He feels like if if Nelson Aguilar goes to a team, I want nothing to do with the offense. Just in general, I feel like like everywhere (laughs) Nelson Aguilar has gone has just been a stink fest because Philadelphia before. I mean, oh, my God, you're fading an entire offense. New England receiver. This is oh, that's great. Oakland, like you follow him, right? Every
1: team he was in the offense and dreadful. I mean, I'm not going to argue with the results. The process may have some questions, but I'm not going (laughs) to argue with the results results over process baby right oh man all
0: right we got uh trent Sherfield signing a one year with buffalo jameson crowder going from buffalo to the giants mm-hmm. yes. stinkers. yeah stinkers uh yeah. brian Edwards, your favorite boy uh signing yeah. with new orleans sorry matt no <laughs> um we got austin hooper this is more interesting you know all my thoughts all my thoughts are with foster moreau looks like they caught he, he his trainer found lymphoma he's stepping away from football um, you know, he was a free agent. He was expected to potentially go back to Las Vegas, especially with Waller being moved. He will not be playing football next year, so they don't have a tight end. Like they don't have a tight end on that roster and in this draft class. I would pay attention to who's going to land in Vegas. I think late in your rookie drafts, if an athletic player, you know, falls like Moreau, who was around four guy, falls to Las Vegas, uh, that's a player that I'm definitely willing to take in the you know late third, early fourth round of rookie drafts and stash on my taxi. But for now. We got Austin Hooper signing a one year just under three million dollars with the Raiders. Does
1: this intrigue you at all? Yeah. I mean, right. The, the Jimmy Garoppolo has, you know, historically used his tight ends pretty significantly, um, especially when it was Kittle. Um, and I'm not saying that Austin Hooper is Kittle by any means, but you know, Garoppolo is not the guy that's going to throw the ball down the field and and knowing that. The uh, the tight end opportunities of being Jimmy Garoppolo's tight end increase significantly, right? When you're completely unwilling to throw the, you know, 40 yard vertical routes. So, yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, I'm not I'm not saying that Austin Hooper is going to change lives by any means. But again, tight end is such a wasteland that if you even have the opportunity to become something. uh, Sorry, Coop. But uh, if you even have the opportunity to become something that gives you value, in the wise words of Stephen A. Smith, if you're replacing nothing, that makes you something.
0: What's true? I mean, and there, there's a little bit of a history there with Jimmy Garoppolo, you know, semi utilizing the tight end as well as McDaniel utilizing the tight end. So potentially sure. there's something there. We're not talking a lot, but I mean, I mean, it's we, it's, we, it's, we, it's we, he's we worth a roster spot, <laughs> okay? He's like, worth he, the roster spot, we definitely worth the roster a roster spot. Yeah. We talked ourselves into Hooper last year, right? Saying like, you know, who they got there, and ended up being Chigakonkwa, who I was I didn't think would have any impact in year one. And if he did have impact year one, I didn't think it was going to be fantasy relevant. Same. For the most part, I was correct. He had a week or two where he was where we actually went out and told you to start him. Shout out Jake, who's in the chat. We popped up on our sleeper show a couple of times, and we love Chigakonkwa moving forward, of course. But with with Austin, we talked ourselves into this. Sure, the situation's there. If he could find himself getting five targets a game, who's not to say he gets you three for 40 and whatever. It's 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 fine depth at the position worth a roster spot. But we got O.J. Howard also signing with Vegas. Um, you know, O.J. Howard's kind of bounced around. I don't personally have an interest in him. So yeah, we'll mean, just move just, forward. Yeah. Let's talk the Elijah Moore trade here because Elijah Moore, we got to move in. from the Jets to Cleveland on his way out, kind of making a comment like, it'll be nice to play with a quarterback, which is fantastic. Good, subtle jab there. He was moved with a third, fourth, second. I'll start in my opinion that I feel like it's a completely appropriate trade for both sides. We talked last week actually on the show where I was saying, you got, you know, Alan Lazard and Corey Davis. Corey Davis can slide in, and he can play slot snaps, albeit he's a great blocker on the outside, but Lazard can do that. I'm sure you can do that in a three-order series. Corey can move in. You don't have to cut him. Of course, if you bring an OBJ, things might be different. They could still sign Randall Cobb to come in and play. 30% of snaps as the true slot receiver where you don't need Corey to come in there to do different things. And I'm saying, that worries me. I was worried for Elijah Moore with Aaron Rodgers, where you might get excited because, ooh, we got Aaron. We got a real quarterback I wasn't sure necessarily how it was going to work for his role in this offense. with Cleveland. They played the experiment on David Bell. They had a couple other guys try to come through. They haven't necessarily failed out that slot spot yet. Yeah. Bring me back to the days where David Bell couldn't, uh, he dropped zero balls in camp. He was quickly a coach's favorite. I was like, hell yeah. And then that faded super, super quickly. What do you think about the landing spot for Elijah Moore? Do you think there's potentially value here?
1: Yeah, I I do. And I think, you know, Obviously, Elijah Moore graded out really well. Super talented player coming out of Ole Miss. Um, he just never quite found it with the Jets, which is fine. And I think a lot of that is quarterback related. Zach Wilson was god awful. I mean, like it is Historically it's hard. Bad. It's, it's hard to quantify in words just how bad Zach Wilson was last year. And I think Elijah Moore, obviously Deshaun Watson, if he gets anywhere near you know, the 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 Houston glory days um in terms of quarterbacking that represents such a significant upgrade over whatever the whatever the hell it is Zach did last year that it's hard to see what Elijah Moore's floor ceiling looks like, but he's in a much better position today than he was yesterday. And and you know, or whenever he got traded um, and that, that's, that's really what you're chasing, right? Is he's in a better situation. Yeah, sure. The, the results range may be a little wider, but it's also wider at the top. And I think the floor has also increased significantly. Now, one, we know he has a role, right? The, the three receiver sets are going to be Amari Cooper, DPJ and Elijah Moore. And I think realistically speaking, um, as the Browns kind of open up their pass attack, as Watson gets kind of acclimated to you know his new spot and and what they're asking him to do, I think Elijah Moore is a pretty – his stock got pretty significantly higher um, going to Cleveland. Now, is that worth anything? I have no idea, right? We, we kind of have to see it play out before we have any idea of, of what he's worth. Uh, we got
0: Jake coming in here saying Mitchell Trubisky wants three more touchdowns in a game than Zach Wilson did in all of last year. Yep, that, that is a, embarrassing. That is a true, true statement. That there. is embarrassing. <laughs> Shout out to Jake. That's embarrassing. Yeah, and there, there is there is a non-zero chance, too, that Elijah plays some snaps in two wide receiver sets there for Houston. And yeah, DPJ kind of gets you know relegated a little bit where they can move. Because Amari Cooper is one of those wide receivers who can move around a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. so that could be very interesting as well, where I don't think necessarily on the Jets, he was going to find himself in those two wide receivers. That's with Corey Davis there. Um, All right. So All right, we got a couple quarterbacks here. You know, no teams. I'll just ask you the same thing. Any interest in in stashing them, or can you just cut them at this point? Carson Wentz, Matt Ryan, Teddy Bridgewater, and Thomas Edward Br- Patrick Brady Jr.
1: Um. So run me through these again. You've got Carson Wentz, Wentz no, Matt
0: Ryan, no Teddy Bridgewater,
1: Nah, I mean, as like a deep league stash of super flex, sure. Thomas Edward
0: Patrick Brady Jr. No, nah,
1: Brady's not coming back. That's I right. don't know if you've heard of that guy. Yeah,
0: that's the GOAT. Stay retired, my guy. It's time. <laughs> I'll walk you through a couple of the yeah. intriguing, quote, bad quarterbacks, bridge quarterbacks, backup quarterbacks for sure. Uh, Taylor Heineke, Jacoby Brissett, Andy Dalton, Jarrett Sidham Mike White, Case Keenum, Marcus Meredith, Gardner Minshew, Baker Mayfield, all signing with teams Give me one name from that group that you think has the best chance to compete for a job. So
1: run me through the list The list one more we time. We got
0: Taylor Heineke, Jacoby Brissett, Andy Dalton, Jarrett Stidham, I should bring with their teams. Heineke's Atlanta, Brissett is Washington, Dalton, Carolina, Stidham, Denver, Mike White with Miami, Case Keenum is Houston, Marcus Mariota went to Philly, Garda Minshew in Indy, and then Baker Mayfield finds himself down in Tampa. So
1: Minshew and Baker are the two that make the most sense right because heineke's going to atlanta essentially to back up ritter because they've got to figure out what they have in them this year um Brissett going to washington again right we're assuming that like washington for a quarterback is an interesting spot if you have a guy but they seem to be pretty committed to sam howell being their guy Brissett is a capable starter if you were ever to you know if you know howell is either imploding or you know you Or, you know, has gets injured. Reset's a perfectly capable super flex starting quarterback. No issues about it whatsoever. I just don't know that he's going to get the opportunity. Um, Dalton to Carolina, we know what this is. They're going QB at one. So, I mean, Dalton's just there as insurance, veteran, you know, leadership, whatever you want to call it. Um, Stidham, White, Keenum, or Stidham, White, Keenum, uh, Mariota, they are what they are, right? They're, they're backup quarterbacks for backups, quarterbacks' sake. Uh, Minshew and Mayfield are the two interesting ones, right? As if Indy has those three quarterbacks go off the board, one, two, three, and are sitting there and don't want Levis. What's their plan, right? There is an Avenue where Gardner Minshew does start games for Indy. So, I mean, depending on how cheaply you can get them, that may be somebody in a super flex format that I'm at least stashing. Um, because I mean it, look, anybody that takes snaps at quarterback and super flex is somewhat valuable, right? That that's just really at, at when we're when we're scraping this end of the barrel, you're just looking for guys that are gonna get pass attempts. And it was
0: what, like 75 quarterbacks started a game last year?
1: Right. And so all 70 and I'm not saying all 75 of them have real life fantasy value, but in super flex format, especially in dynasty, when the bottoms of those of those quarterbacks benches can get really thin, when you have a guy that at least has a path to some snaps it's valuable to keep them around for a little bit. And I think Minshew fits that profile perfectly. And then there's a non-zero chance that Baker Mayfield starts games for Tampa this year. Cause the thing is until they move Evans and Godwin until they really commit to tearing the whole thing down. I, I mean, it seems like they're going to attempt to win the, the NFC South. Why? I have no idea. I don't know what they're chasing, but there's no one on the roster that's anywhere near what Brady was. And they were a disaster last year. So like, I mean, look, it's true uh baker's probably the guy that has the most direct path to snaps followed by minshu the rest of them are just insurance policies and i think the the one of the rest of them that i would look at is probably Brissett. um but again these are all basically lottery tickets you're hoping that you can cash um nothing super exciting um in this crew of guys but you know again baker if not spectacular there are pass attempts coming. Minshew, same thing. Brissett, same thing. So, yep. Uh,
0: yeah. No, I I completely agree. Yep. Of of those guys, you know, I think Baker Mayfield and Garner Minshew. I mean, if you get both those guys on your team for a third, totally cool with it. Basically, yep. every other player on the list, if you can package them with a third to grab a second, because someone is looking for their backup quarterback that's i would do that absolutely in a heartbeat anyone on that list that's over the age of 31 get whatever the whatever the hell you can for him um with andy dalton signing with carolina
1: you think matt corral is droppable i mean i it, it depends on how deep your benches are in all yeah. honesty because i mean again like i said anybody with a path to snaps because again dalton's one of those guys that could potentially be moved if somebody has an injury midseason and then you're looking at corral as a backup it's just i mean there's not really a great path forward for matt corral um unfortunately he just was he got injured at the wrong time and they never got to see what he could do so i mean yeah i mean if you if you have shorter benches he's probably droppable but if in a deeper bench league you never know what can happen and there are certainly worse guys to stash than matt corral but the situation's ugly ugly
0: Yep. We got Jake asking here. No context. Would prefer a receiver with 10 for 150 or 24 for 240. Both no touchdowns. Give me $5 of fab. So let's move on here to Leonard Fournette and Kareem Hunt because both these backs haven't signed with a team yet. You think they sign anywhere? Like, is it just one of those things where Kareem Hunt especially just finds himself just out of the league. I know teams in the past, right when he was cut, obviously he ended up with Cleveland. Nobody even wanted Nobody. He cleared all, every team in the NFL. And then with Cleveland last year, they were asking for even just a fourth round pick. No one would even give a fourth round
1: pick. They end up holding on to him.
0: You think that Kareem Hunt's done? And I guess if you want to touch on Fournette as well,
1: uh I don't think, see, Fournette provides value, especially pass protecting and then as basically a goal linebacker you know, kind of in that Ezekiel Elliott mold role that we were talking about earlier. So I don't think he's done. I think somebody will sign him eventually, Um, whether it's an injury in camp, whatever the situation is. Kareem Hunt, again, same situation. I think someone will eventually pick him up, whether that's uh, pre-draft, post-draft, injury related, whatever the case may be. I don't think either guy is quite done yet, but they're, they're they're in the sunset of their careers. Both of them are. Sure, uh, as any running back is.
0: We've got Jake here saying we were he was hoping I would take David Bell versus Steven Smith Jr. You heard it here, David Bell. That's the career we're we're looking for. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, let's talk. Miami brought back all their running backs, the you know, the Shanahan crew, the McDaniel yeah. crew, the hodgepodge there. We got Raheem Mostert Jeff Wilson, uh Salvin Ahmed, Miles Gaskin, every single one signed a one, all four of them signed a one year. For you, do you see that as kind of a, a spot where they're content just with what they have, or do you still think that's a spot where a running back could land? Because I know we are all drooling over the, the you know the prospect of a Jameer Gibbs ending up there, or a Devin a Chain, or someone like that ending
1: up in Miami. I think realistically, given what they've invested in that room, they're probably just going to keep it the way it is. Um, obviously, it would be really fun to have a rookie running back there, and maybe I mean late, late I could see it. It's just a matter of I don't think Miami's going to give up draft capital in day two or early day three. Um, but, you know, we'll see. I, I It's funny. Uh, you know, Miami really did just assemble San Francisco East um, mm-hmm. in their running back room with Mostert and Wilson. And then Ahmed and Gaskin are. Perfectly capable running backs. The thing is they they just don't need to go that direction. I think yep. we're all enamored for them to go that direction because it significantly raises it. the fun, right? right?
0: Um, but just like we know. said with San Francisco, where the quarterback doesn't matter, like Shanahan's going to put him into the system. There's a baseline there. That's McDaniel with running backs. Like, yeah, absolutely. No like, question. Give me What's give up? me something you do really well, and we're good. Like Raheem Mostert, you got that speed Wilson you got the elusiveness the other players are more you're well-rounded like you're Gaskin they can do everything like okay enough to you know fill a role we got a question here Rashad White or the 2023 202 pick Uh, you have any take here before I answer
1: they're kind of equivalent to me I mean like there's not that I don't feel strongly one side or the other I think that's about where I would value them Um, kind of depends on how you feel about Rashad White which I perfect personally I hate all running backs right now so you know (laughs) it's it's kind of one of those you know take your pick Uh, I don't have a strong opinion on this one way or the other
0: yeah I feel like Rashad White I think that's a fine spot to take him right I think in a vacuum I have Rashad White over the running backs we'd expect at 202 but you know there's a non-zero chance that a guy like Downs or Flowers is there at 202 and you can have a conversation if you prefer one of those wide receivers over Rashad White himself. You get more flexibility with the draft pick, but when we look at that spot with running backs like your Zach Evans, your Sean Tucker, these types of backs at that spot, Kendra Miller, we don't even know if they're going to go day two, right? They could yeah. all end up, some of these guys could slide day three, the running back position, every running back that is in this class is going to go day two until they don't. Inevitably, the value of these players is going to get Thanos snapped in that 202 could end up being a spot where you don't love any of those running backs nearly as much as Rashad White you know, or it could be a spot where you're getting about equal value, so I think it's appropriate. And funny enough, that running back you take a two of two could end up being Rashad White's running mate there in Tampa Bay. You right. never know, that's also a possibility. So, entirely possible. fine with Rashad White, but always risk with running backs at this point of the year. We'll touch a couple little things, we'll get you out of here. Um, I just want to talk Alvin Kamara real quick because we got Jamal Williams, we haven't talked about him yet. He went to New Orleans. Uh, reuniting with Taysom Hill, his three year, $12 million contract on a scale of one to 10. How terrified are we to have Alvin Kamara on our rosters right now? Probably a seven. Okay. It's not as bad as I thought it could be.
1: Yeah. I mean, it could get worse. I mean, Alvin Kamara is still a ridiculously talented player. Um, we know that Derek Carr is going to bring stability at quarterback that they didn't have. Now, I still think that the Derek Carr move was ridiculous. I, I don't understand why they did that. Um, but, you know, for for fantasy purposes, right, that's going to bring a lot more stability to New Orleans offensively in terms of how they score points and sustain drives. Um, I'm not completely out on Camara for by any means. But, you know, based on prices for what you got him, for what you acquired him for a year or two ago, it's looking pretty grim. But, yeah, um, <clears throat> again, there's no I have no issue with it personally. Um, Jamal Williams is going to steal some goal line work. He's going to steal some touchdowns. Um, But we know what we know what Kamara's value really is. And his value is really as a pass catcher. And, you know, especially in in PPR formats, what he gives you as a pass catcher is is almost unmatched across the league. I mean, there are very few guys that give you the kind of floor that he gives you week to week. Um, Williams is going to eat into his touchdowns. But again, like we said, Does improving quarterback help some of those targets be a little bit more valuable? I mean, I have no idea where Kamara is a wait and see, but I think we've seen what he can be. And I think he still can be that it's probably just going to be 80%, 70% of what he was when he was, you know, basically RB one in all formats. Um, I don't think you're going to see that again. Yeah, I agree. Uh,
0: we got Jake saying here, who do we risk if things first tight end off the board? We believe in the Kincaid hype. I'll start by saying I believe it's just going to be Michael Maris, the first tight end off the board. I do believe in the hype. I think there's a very good chance that Kincaid and Washington slide into the first round. They both, you know, Kincaid's upside. I think, you know, GMs in the league are as excited with him as, you know, any tight end in the recent classes. And with a player like Washington, you're basically getting to add an extra tackle there who can, you know, potentially leak out Catch a couple balls, be super athletic. Your run game is significant with Washington. I think there's a lot of teams at the back end of the first, maybe a team like Buffalo, maybe a team like Kansas City, who could potentially, you know, really uh, take the stab and grab a player like that. But I think it'll believe Mayor. Somebody's saying here, since he needs a rookie tight end, I think that's where Michael Mayer makes a lot of sense.
1: Mayer Uh, makes a lot of sense. I've seen plenty of Cincinnati fans that I interact with on a day-to-day basis that are all over darnell washington just because of the like we what we said right he's a sixth o-lineman that can run routes and test it as a freak because of course he is one i have no idea what kirby smart is feeding those boys at georgia but my god it's these vegas boys man i'm telling
0: you because we got darnell coming out kincaid is all the both of them are vegas boys are they really here i did not know that both of them. With Washington, my only concern with Washington when we're talking fantasy, right? Even if he goes round one, which is a significant possibility, I'm still probably not taking that risk until the late second of your rookie draft just because a there's a really solid chance. I know we saw that one-handed catch. He jumped. Like, you were in a room with Darnell. Everyone looking at this dude. He's just he's one of those guys who is actually built different. But um, the question will remain what kind of passing work he gets, right? Because when we said it's like getting an extra tackle, teams are gonna utilize him like that. Now he might he might sneak out and grab some touchdowns, put up a fringe tight end one season like a John who did a couple of years back, but there's also the possibility he just ends up being like John who has where it's just other than gimmicky red zone plays, he's pretty much just that extra tackle. And he really opens things up for your pass catching possessive tight end. Let's round this thing out with one last Go at yes or no on and ready. Yeah. Hit it. All right. Um, Kenny Galladay. No. <laughs> Robbie Anderson. Uh, n- no. Marvin
1: Jones. Yeah. I think there's still something there. Jarvis Landry. Uh God. He's we're getting really close to the point where that's a no. And that breaks my heart. Julio Jones. Yeah, I think there's still value a little bit somewhere in there. Sammy Watkins. No. Okay. Those are
0: the last of the free agent wide receivers. It's just a lot of a lot of vets. I mean, it's one of those things if they sign
1: sure the last spot on your bench, but
0: if you can get anything for one of those names, even yeah. If they do sign, I mean, you 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 take it, you don't think twice about it. Yeah. But,
1: I mean, talking about receivers in their 30s, man. Like
0: Yeah. That being said, it. Right, thank you for joining us and like it's a pleasure. I mean, we could sit here and talk all day, you know, unfortunately we, we do both got to run. I appreciate everyone who s- stayed tuned and listened with us through this whole thing, even when, you know, we're, we both kind of rant off at times on, um, you got anything to plug
1: here before we get out? Uh, no, nothing, nothing really to plug. Obviously, um, as most of you know, I, I have a show with Matt Kelly and pod father on Roto Underworld called the decision point where we go over kind of, uh salary cap stuff contracts gm moves kind of analyze everything from the top down um obviously would appreciate the listen but thanks for having me buff and you know um uh, thanks to everyone in the chat for asking really insightful questions i had a great time man
0: yeah uh, thank you very much um you can find all things jwb at jwb underscore ff listen you of talking football just come on our discord we got we got drafts going every single day mock drafts It's a, it's a really good time you can potentially getting some startups with us we had a question a way back said if we've paired Aaron Jones with AJ Dillon I don't typically pair two backs on the same team in underdog best ball drafts but if you are on underdog and you're looking to get into drafting please use code JWB for a deposit match up to $100 for your first time users if you're not familiar with best ball it's a league setting where they set your lineup for you take your best lineup every single week so it's best if you want to fill that draft fix against real players in real rooms with real prizes but come Sundays you don't have 40 plus lineups to set because that's very overwhelming. I can tell you from experience, you know, best ball ball is the spot for you till next time, guys.